Thank you, praise team, for leading us and for leading us in essence of a prayer that as we come before God's, as we come to God's word, we ask, come, Lord Jesus, be present in our hearts, be present in the reading of the word, and be present in such a way that our lives are transformed more and more into Christ's likeness. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come as we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. We're continuing our series uh, through the kind of back-to-basics of Bible stories here at North Holland. Just for the fall, we're returning to what for some might be not-so-familiar stories. For others, these are the ones you grew up with in Sunday school. But to revisit them with fresh eyes and to appreciate some of the most simple and basic lessons of our faith are some of the most important and some of the most transformative. So starting with Genesis 1 and 2, with the architect and artist of creation, experiencing temptation and the fall, seeing God make promises to humanity in the flood, hanging up his bow, his bow as in bow and arrow in the clouds, saying this will not happen again, going to the Tower of Babel, seeing how easily we are divided. And now coming to Genesis 18 with Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah have been characters in Scripture. um, Well, in Genesis 12 was when this began, with covenant promises being made. And when we use the word covenant, just our, our operating definition for this series is that a covenant is a promise that also comes with provision. It is that God will make the promise and that God also will provide. And so we're going to come and pick up on that in Genesis 18, uh, knowing just kind of in the setting that some promises have already been made to Abraham and Sarah, but they have not seen the provision for those promises. And so this covenant story of promise and provision continues in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, that you, by living in our hearts, may give us a fresh take on what might be a familiar passage. As we read of your servants, Abraham and Sarah, may we read of them not only as characters in a book, but as people just like us who have gone before us in faith. May we imagine ourselves in their shoes or maybe more appropriately in their sandals. Lord, help us to identify with who they are and how they interacted with you. And may this all be so that we may gain a greater understanding of who you are and how you interact with us, your covenant people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. After the reading of the word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God, if you are grateful. And as we read today, if I can encourage you one thing to pay attention to, Pay attention to the, the verbs. How are people moving and acting in this text? The action words. 
Genesis 18, beginning at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Does God ever make you laugh? Have, have you thought about that? D does the idea of God's promises ever make you laugh? Have, have you ever considered who God is or, or read something in Scripture or been told something by someone kind of in the name of the Lord? Has the idea of what God has in store for you, has it ever made you laugh? Sarah and Abraham have a unique advantage to us in that is they have this appearance of these visiting guests that the Lord appeared to them in, in the form of three visitors. They get to overhear, and what they hear makes them laugh. I know when I think about God's call, when I think about God's um, love to us and, and the need to respond, I think a lot about responsibility and obligation and a duty to action. I, I think about servanthood and diligence, but I don't think my response is often to consider all that God has done and all that God promises and to simply laugh. 
And it is laughable what God says to Abraham and Sarah. It makes sense that they would laugh. And I wonder if it makes sense for us to laugh sometimes too. Now, there's some phrases that um, are popular in our church culture of saying, do you know how to make God laugh? I've heard some of you say this. How do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Right? We say this is what makes God laugh. Because we can tell God our plans. But God can chuckle and say, if only you knew the fullest extent of my plans for you. I think another way that we can um, imagine that we can make God laugh is uh, to, to tell God how we're going to pay God back for all that God has done for us, that, that we're going to return the favor. I think in that moment, too, God would simply laugh at us, not in a diminishing way, not in an unpleasant way, but in just a chuckling of, you do your best. But God, our Lord, came into this earth, took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ, was like us, lived among us, and Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried for us. And on the third day, he rose again for our salvation. We can't pay God back for that. But we can do our best to respond in gratitude in ways that just might make us laugh. Not in a frantic need to try to pay God back, because that is never what God has asked. In any covenant that God has made, it has never been based on our ability to pay God back. But our life is a response to God's love. And at our best, we live with some of that joy by which we can respond to all that God has done for us. We can make God laugh. And God can make us laugh. God's tone of voice is something that we can be asked to pay attention to. In some ways, the, the first lens of interpretation that you take to any passage, whether you're reading it in your head or whether you're reading it out loud, is to imagine the tone of voice with which any character is talking. And at the very end of this passage we read today, in verse 15... How do you hear God saying that when, when Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I, I did not laugh. How do you hear Sarah saying that, feeling kind of caught by God in this moment of hospitality? But God said what? Yes, you did laugh. I think it could be easy to imagine God calling us out, that, that God is, is up there kind of looking down saying, I caught you in a lie. God knows our hearts. God knows when we lie. But I think if this is the character of God, our loving creator, if this is the architect of the cosmos, if this is the artist of our souls, God knows full well that Sarah would laugh. And in reading this this week, I hear a tone of voice that I wonder if it can resonate with us today. If God knows full well that what was said would make Sarah laugh, He's simply just agreeing with her, yes, you did laugh. Because what I said to you was laughable. Abraham and Sarah have received this covenant. They've received the promises. But they haven't seen the provision for it. 
they've tried to do it themselves and have kind of messed that up. In Genesis 12, Abraham is told that, that they would be the father of many nations and that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. Count them if you can, but that is how numerous your descendants will be. And Abram and Sarai at that time are growing older and older with no sign of that provision. And in Genesis, and well, earlier, and actually before we even get to Genesis 17, in Genesis 16, Sarai, feeling the pressure of, of living up to these promises that, that God spoke to her husband and said, this is what's going to happen, and they have not seen it come to pass. Sarai does not trust in God's provision. She does believe God's promise, but figures this must be hers to figure out. Have you ever tried to act on God's behalf? Try to fix something that maybe wasn't completely yours to fix? And so what happens in Genesis 16 is just not okay. Sarai, feeling this pressure that, that she doesn't have children, uh, gives her servant Hagar to Abraham and says, if I can't be the way that this promise is fulfilled, take my servant and sleep with her. And so Hagar is pregnant with Ishmael. This causes grief. I think some of the grief is because this whole idea started with something that was not okay. It may have been Sarah's right to hand her servant over to her husband, but just because it was your right doesn't mean that it was right. We try to figure things out for ourselves. We try to fix it. I think many of us would identify as when we have a problem, we are problem solvers, and we want to fix it. And some problems just aren't ours to fix, or they're not easy to fix. God makes Abraham and Sarah laugh. He makes them laugh, even after they've tried to fix this problem on their own. And, and just to be clear, friends, it's not just Sarah who laughs. It's Abram as well. In Genesis 17, 15, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. That is a big promise, especially when they haven't seen any provision of that promise. And so Abraham fell face down, just as he does in, Abra in Genesis 18, and says, and Scripture tells us, Abraham fell face down and he laughed. He laughed at hearing this and said to himself, will a, will, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, yes, but... Yes, Ishmael will live under a blessing, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. God named Isaac. The name means laughter, because Abraham laughed. Not to God's face, because Abraham was bowed down with his face to the ground, but he laughed, thinking maybe God didn't see it. 
But God saw it and named his son Laughter because of it. Sarah laughs in the tent, overhearing this ludicrous idea that, that, that she is going to be the one who will fulfill this promise of, of being a mother to nations and that kings of people will come through her. She laughs. And wouldn't you? I mean, if next week, if we had the announcement um, that Verlin and Marlene Vandenbosch or Howard and Ann Wolters were expecting a child, would we not be a little bit surprised? And I don't mean to pick on anyone, but this is the idea. Abraham and Sarah are elderly. I can only imagine um, what this would be like in modern days. If, uh, you know, they already, they already know it's going to be a boy. They already know it's Isaac. God already did the gender reveal party in naming Isaac for Abraham and Sarah. Um, but you can imagine maybe we're going we're gonna to have a baby shower and, our hun- and my 100th birthday. You can buy diapers for both of us. I mean, that's the reality of what we're looking at here. It is laughable. And one thing that I think we can agree is that God does have a sense of humor. I also think that God's making us laugh. God, when God makes us laugh, it is a good thing. It reminds us that I think God delights in our laughter and that the promises that God makes to us might just seem laughable. If everything that you can expect God to do, if every prayer that you have is one that you can fully understand how it will happen, and it's not even the least bit laughable what you pray for or ask God for, then it might not be the fullness of God that we have in mind when we pray. Have you ever prayed to God for something that seems laughable? Even those laughs of despair, even those laughs of hurt. As we've walked here in this congregation with people who have had chronic pain, if God came down in the form of three messengers and told someone, you're not going to have any pain anymore, would it not be laughable? Would we not also laugh And say, how would that ever be possible? If God told you that the rest of the month you weren't going to see anything about COVID or the election on the news, you would also laugh at God and might wonder if that would only be possible through like an alien invasion or something like that. God's promises are laughable because the provision that God is willing to make to keep God's covenant is beyond our imagination and is beyond our thinking. God's promises are laughable, especially when there is pain involved. Sarah has felt the pressure that she has to fulfill these promises God has made. Sarah has gone decades all the way into her 90s with this pain that lingers in her heart. That the one thing that, that, that she wanted, the one thing that she thought she had a, a contribution to God's covenant was not happening. And the promise in the covenant, the, the promise of being a mother to many nations and, and kings will come through her people, does seem pretty laughable. Because God's sense of provision goes beyond our imagination. Things go wrong when we figure the promise is up to us to keep up the bargain. Pain is created between Sarah and Hagar, between Hagar and Ishmael, 
I wonder how Sarah felt seeing how much joy Ishmael brought Abraham, and that's why Sarah actually sends Hagar and Ishmael away. Was there pain and jealousy? Yes, because the laughable promise had no provision. So what do we do instead? What do we do instead when God's promises seem laughable? I think we stick to what we do best. All of the verbs in in the first section of our text are all about hurrying around. Because what Abraham and Sarah know, even though they're not really sure if that covenant that God made to them, they don't know what the provision of that's going to be like. So what do they do? They show hospitality. They greet these visitors. They offer them the best. And when, when we were told that Abraham stands nearby under a tree, imagine a waiter serving one table. That is Abraham standing by. And, and, and Sarah has gone to great lengths. Abraham and Sarah have, have killed the, the perfect sacrifice to be given. They're going to bring them all of the best of their stuff. And it is just an overkill moment in verse 6 when Abraham hurries to the tent and tells Sarah, Quick, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it into some bread. Three seahs would be like 36 pounds of flour. Abraham and Sarah are essentially like opening Panera bread for three people. 36 pounds of flour? That is a lot of bread. It is an eccentric overkill amount. Because with these visitors, Abraham and Sarah will show abundant hospitality. They will give and give and give and give and give. Do you think God laughs at them a little bit for this? I think God does laugh, but not in a mocking way. The the, the takeaway from the text is not to think, God just shakes his head and says, I'm the Lord of the universe and you're baking me bread? I disagree with that understanding of God. I think God sees this, this haste with which they want to show hospitality and, and the just incredible amount of bread being made. And I think if God laughs, God laughs with a smile. In the same way that there was a smile on God's face when, when Abel brought his sacrifice before God and it was received with joy, with delight. I think God does delight greatly in the bread that we bake, so to speak. When we use our gifts to the best of our ability, I think it does give God delight to think of God laughing pleasantly, to know that there's choirs of angels, and yet our songs of praise can bring a smile to God's face, that that our lives can bring delight to God. Does that not warm our hearts just a little bit to think of God laughing with us? That your attempts to show gratitude and love to your neighbor put a smile on God's face because God does laugh with joy and God does have a sense of humor. But to wonder what makes us laugh. Do we ever laugh at what God says? I hope that we do. I hope that some of the ideas that we have do make us laugh. And I wish that each of us could have that personal encounter of three people showing up, that we could eavesdrop on God's conversations about our life. But what if God told you 
the fullness of the, of the influence that you were going to have on the world? What if God told you that you were going to change people's lives just by being you? Not by trying to be anything other than what you already are. What if God told you that your life brings him delight? Would you laugh? Would you laugh and say, you've got the wrong person. I'm just me. Do we laugh with some cynicism and pain at the state of our world and say, what difference can I make? What if God told you that you were going to change the world? Would you laugh? I would. And I don't think God would chide us when we laugh. Yes, you did laugh. And I know the depths of your soul and I know why. And I love you. If the Lord's laughter with us is a reminder of God saying, I love you love you. As we say often, you are known, you are loved, you are welcome in this place. Friends, everything comes to be the way God said it would happen. Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah. God's covenants are fulfilled, and they are fulfilled on God's terms, not ours. This is a laughable moment of joy. As you pray this week, I encourage you to think about the things that would make you laugh. Think of the audacity with which you could ask, things that you might not even believe are possible. Pray it anyway. And imagine that, that God laughs with you with delight. God seems to commit and deliver on God's promises. And Ephesians chapter 3 is maybe just a touch point for us to close with. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says this way, Now to him, the Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you think of God as able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? In our heads? Probably. But do we draw the line somewhere? Would we draw the line at 90-year-old Sarah getting pregnant? Probably. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. But then the next phrase, according to his power that is at work within us. That you are a part of how God is doing immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So bake your bread. Sing your songs of praise. Show kindness to the stranger, to the coworker. Do all of this because it puts a smile on God's face. And it is the way in which God does immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Through his power that is at work, not magically, abstractly somewhere else, but that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.